Good afternoon. Welcome to another Friday edition of Coffee and Conversation. For those of you I haven't met, I'm Jeff Harris, the District and County Superintendent of Schools. So joining us today in about the time it takes you to sit down and have a cup of coffee with a friend and have a quick conversation, we're going to invite you to sit with us and for the next 20 minutes or so talk about things that are of interest to students' families here in Del Norte County. So joining us today, we have Brooke Davis, our Director of Special Education. Welcome, Brooke. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. And Tom Kissinger, a, a longtime member of our uh, weekly podcast. So welcome back, Tom. Yeah, it's good to be back, Jeff. Uh, it's, it's been a long time. It's, it's been a while since I've sat here and had a cup of coffee. Uh, but uh, no, I, anyway, it's good to be back. Yeah, we're going to get Tom his own director's chair with his name on the back. That That's going to be the next thing. So. So, you know what? Um, so want to thank you both for joining us today. So let's have a quick conversation as we start talking about um, special education. We know that we have in our district, we're kind of unique in California in that close to 20% of the students that attend school in Del Norte County receive some level of special education service. Um, and I think that, you know, we, we always have conversations about how do we make sure that we're providing the best service, the right service? How are we um, um, providing the right program to the right students? That all really got upended and thrown into some stark um, contrast and with reality in March when we had to close facilities for COVID-19. So um, Brooke and Tom, can you kind of take us back in time a little bit to um, what March looked like and what's kind of been done since March and over the summer to prep us for this year? Well, everything was just going along fine. And then March happened. And, and I actually think it was, I think the board meeting might've been on Sunday, March 15th, when we, um, uh, when we actually made the decision to start with the crisis learning program the very next week. So it really um, created a tremendous amount of work for Brooke and her team with special education because here we have so many students who are coming to school every day, getting their services and resources at school. And all of a sudden we're moving to packets and online. What was that like for you and for your team and, and for, for families and students, Brooke? Well, at first, I think we thought it was going to be short term. So everybody really reached out, um, provided the best that they could at the time, really tailoring the materials that went home to individual needs, knowing that the reason a student receives special ed services is they need that individual instruction and they need something just a little bit different than a general ed student in the classroom. So how do we do that? Um, we provided high quality opportunities. We provided parents with materials. But as we proceeded, with the closure and realized it was going to be more long-term, we started to experiment with different ways to provide more direct service. So how do we jump into a Google Classroom and provide accommodations for students? How do we modify work and assignments? And then how do we provide specialized services such as speech language, OT, PT, any of the SELPA services for our orthopedically handicapped or deaf and hard of hearing students? So as we went along, we received a lot of support from Mindy Fat who is our SELPA director and our SELPA team really in guidance on what that would look like, reached out and um, talked to our families, had amendment IEPs and discussed what distance learning would look like. As we're coming into this year, we're really refining that. 
and saying no longer are they going to be just opportunities. We want to make sure that each student is met where they're at and that through a combination of synchronous and asynchronous services, we are providing everything the child has in the IEP. There are things that we can't in phase one, which is where we're at right now, full distance learning, but we're getting ready to do phase two, hopefully in another week, and that will provide us some additional opportunities. You know, Brooke, um, um, you're, you, the, all the folks that you work with in, in special education, um, you had to, a real, there was a real paradigm shift. I mean, you had counseling services, speech and language pathology services. How, how were we able to do that with, uh, how were we able to make that shift? And, and what, what was that, what was that like for staff? Well, for staff, they're they're willing to do anything to climb the highest mountain. They had questions about the efficacy of um, teletherapy. And so we had to provide them with support, training, uh, resources so that they could have materials that were accessible in that distance learning format. Over the summer, many of my staff members went out on their own and got additional training and have participated with district training. Really, it's about making sure that we look at the child, we look at what the child's schedule is, and to the highest extent possible, we provide inclusive opportunities for kids, which is where we're going um, with special education. And so, again, all the specialists really had to say, what does this look like for me? Um, right now, we're providing small group, large group, and individual support, uh, speech, language, occupational therapy, uh, counseling. Those services are provided at the level that the child can access. Uh, one of the things I do know is that we still have several families that we haven't been able to reach. So anybody listening to this podcast, if you haven't been um, contacted or had that contact with special education, you can contact me at my office, 464-0725, and I can make sure that you're hooked up for those services. Or, or if you know of a family that hasn't been reached out to, go ahead and give us a call. Um, it's not tattling, it's helping. So <laughs> give us a hand. You know, um, Brooke, another thing is, is so uh, a lot of people don't know that we were still able to provide special education support for students over the summer and through the um, extended school year program. And so some of our kids were still able to get the support that they needed to, to kind of make it through the summer. Absolutely. And I think that with the experience that we had from March through June, um, our special day class teachers who teach the extended school year ESY really had put in place some of those um, direct teaching practices to make the extended school year really valuable. Um, we had wonderful attendance. We served... Oh, I want to say 150 kids, um, both in special day classes and with individualized service, speech, language, occupational therapy, speech therapy and counseling. And so, again, I think it gave us another opportunity to try things out and to say, what do we really need to have in place to have high quality, specialized education in distance learning? So this has really kind of changed the landscape, right, of, of services that students receive. So if anybody, if anybody's listening and you're not familiar with special education, special education is a part of the Individuals with Disabilities and Education Act. Um, an IEP is an individualized education plan uh, to be able to receive an IEP. Um, a child has to be assessed and has to meet one of a number of criteria. 
um, and then they are um, um, identified as having a primary disability, and and the entire educational structure or support structure is based on that primary disability, and they may be they may also get additional services. So you're going to hear us today use a lot of uh, acronyms, I'm sure, APE, adaptive physical education, or or OT, occupational therapy, whatever it is, but just know that. Um, there, there is quite a process that goes into this. And so last year, while we were serving students and over the summer, while we continued to serve students, um, we also know that we ended the year and we've started the year with other students that are in that um, evaluation phase. Um, and, and here again, just so that everybody out there knows, evaluations never really stop. Right, we're we're always moving forward. We have a we have a um, a, a duty under IDEA under the Individuals with Disability and Education Act to um to uh, it's called child find. Uh, other people refer to it as seek and serve. We it's our job to go out and find students um, to do the assessments and to determine whether or not special education is appropriate. What what are assessments looking like right now? How are we moving forward with assessments? And um, if students are struggling, uh, the first step we know is not to request an assessment. But if students are struggling, how can families uh, request some additional support right now? So as we go into phase two, um, we really are targeting services, in-person services for very specific groups. Um, our special day class students, students who receive a very high level of specialized academic instruction, who may need specialized um, aid support, and students who have no access to um, internet and haven't been able to actually access our distance learning. In addition to that, we'll be providing small group interventions for a wide variety of students, uh, not just students who have an IEP, but students that might need a specific intervention. Those students are identified by their general ed classroom teacher and prioritized by their site principal. So those principals have been communicating with teachers, teachers communicating with families. And as we move into phase two, we will be pulling those small cohorts together to provide that extra intervention. And, and currently assessment. So if, if families were identified as potentially uh, their child needing to be assessed, uh, where are we on the assessment front at this point? Well, at this point, we are able to provide assessments for students. We've actually come up with a, a pretty rigorous protocol for ensuring that the student and the assessor are in a safe space and that's properly sanitized and the conditions are right. And we actually have a parent acknowledgement form to make sure that the student who's coming in is healthy and um, and able to participate in the assessment. So um, our psychologists and other folks who do the assessments are now able to provide assessments on sites. Correct, Brooke? Um, they're going to be beginning as soon as they get the sanitization um, uh, tools that they need. We will be moving forward. So I know we have... Assessments that were overdue from last year, so beginning in March, we're prioritizing making sure that we start with those ones and that we have current assessments that are happening right now. Um, each school site should be working to contact parents, let them know sort of what the timeline is. We know that making up four months worth of assessments is going to take four months. So just uh, be patient. Know that the school psychologists are gnashing at the bit right now to get started. And we do have all the uh, procedures in place. Um, we were able to get all the PPE in place. And so now we're just waiting for that one last step. Yeah. And just so everybody knows at this point, basically what we're waiting on is back in 
April, we started ordering um, basically supplies for disinfecting. Uh, those supplies were supposed to be in the first to middle of August, and they were supposed to be the end of August. Now it's supposed to be the middle of September. So um, as soon as those come in, I will be able to do a lot more as a district as a whole. Um, so in kind of thinking, though, about moving forward, because if it's going to take us about four months to catch up on four months of missed work, right? Um, what, as we kind of think about phase three, which is our target for October 5th, um, we, we, we will be bringing in some of those smaller cohorts over the next couple of weeks, but that's going to be, I think a lot of people are putting that, um, uh, I think maybe thinking about it in bigger terms, right? Like it's going to be this long thing. If we really think about it, we're talking maybe 10 days and then we're back with these larger cohorts. So um, what if any changes in phase three would families expect to see um, how's it going to be similar to what they experienced prior to COVID-19 and how is it going to be different because of COVID-19? Well, I think the one thing that we want to share is that our goal is not to um, take students away from their general education time. Um, it's really super important for us that those kids have the time together with their classmates, that they have opportunities to have access to that rigorous core, all the socialization of the friends that they've been missing. And so we will be working with families so that students with special education may actually be attending four days a week, two days in their general education cohort. And and the possibility of one or more days to receive other services so that we don't impede on that ability for them to be in their gen ed classroom. But you know what, Tom, and that, that's really interesting, Brooke, that you bring part of that up because you just mentioned in passing the social emotional piece too. We know that the social emotional impacts on all of our students um, are, are they're, they're varied. They're, they're wide, you know, from minimal impact to pretty significant impact. Matter of fact, I was reading an article today and this was mostly about younger um, adults in their 20s, early 20s, um, they said there, there was a survey that came out that said that um, almost 50% of the people in the survey had seriously considered or discussed suicide with um, someone that they knew over the past two months or 60 days or whatever was in the article. Um, we know that a lot of our kids are struggling um, and the fire, the smoke that we're experiencing right now is only exacerbating that for a lot of our kids. So um, knowing that, knowing that we also have a responsibility under SB 98 to talk about social emotional supports, um, Tom, I know you kind of oversee the counseling department, Brooke, you work with a school psychologist. What does that social emotional support, especially for some of our most vulnerable and at-risk students, what, what might that look like in the next few weeks and months? Well, uh, that's a that's a really important topic that you touched on there, Jeff. And we are working with our counselors and our psychologists to ensure that the kids, not only that the students have the social and emotional support that they need, but their families are aware that we're providing additional support for students. So one of the things that our counselors have been doing is curating um, information, whether it be articles or or other media that they can share with teachers and students when they're actually, um, when they're working with students synchronously um, and other things that they can do uh, asynchronously to, 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 I would say to acknowledge that we're going through some really challenging times and this is not easy for anybody, but at the same time um, provide venues for, for, 
for sharing information, provide venues for, for, for students to speak out, to share what they're thinking, to talk about what their feelings are, um, so that so that so that they know that they're not alone in some of these challenges and these struggles. The other thing that we've done is provided training to our staff um, so that they can be aware of some of the challenges that kids are having and some of the challenges that staff members are having in order to uh, deal with the unknown and the struggles that are going on right now. Right. Well, and, and like you said, I think the other important part there is really families, because, you know, as we talk about what families need, um, we've been supporting students. We've been, we've been reaching out to families, but these families have also been these, the primary caregivers where students have typically come to school for six and a half hours a day, plus transportation or whatever. Um, that's all now fallen onto families along with whatever crisis, uh, that they're experiencing economically, um, or because of COVID themselves, the anxiety, whatever's going on with it. Um, so I, I think it's really important to let families know that to support their child better, um, really that self-care that they need as well, uh, reaching out for support, reaching out for help, whether that is these curated um, uh, components that our counselors are doing um, or explicitly reaching out to counselors and psychologists through Brooke, through your office or Tom with you to say, hey, how can I get this support? Um or reaching out to uh, county mental health, whoever it happens to be, because we do have a lot of support in this county for families and people are going through really, and I'm going to use the word that's been used a bajillion times since March, we're going through unprecedented times, right? Yeah. Jeff, one resource that I wanted to mention too, and, and, and that is something called Sources of Strength, which, is, which helps young folks deal with some real challenging uh, feelings that they may be having, um, real worries that they may be having. And up on our district's website, we actually have information about the Sources of Strength program. And our climate coach, Taryn Musbach, has done a tremendous job uh, putting those resources, making them available so that we have information that can help, particularly our, our, our teenagers and adolescents. Well, I wanted to just sort of piggyback on what Jeff had said. Um, we realized that parents through this distance learning have been the primary caregivers for their children and have been put in such unique situations. And we want to say thank you. Um, you're amazing. You've really reached out to our staff to let us know what you need when it's working, when it's not working. And we thank you so much for all the effort you're putting in. Um, our teachers truly appreciate that. And let them know when you do need help, because we can provide additional support and services. I know over the summer, I received at least three or four referrals for mental health for students that were having crises. I had several of my psychologists working over the summer. So if you do need additional assistance, reach out to either the case manager, the site principal, or myself, and I can hook you up with those resources so that you can get the help you need. So we've only got a couple of minutes left. So if we could just very briefly, um, Brooke, this year, um, IEPs are going to be very different. They're going to feel very different. Uh, they're going to be held for a variety of reasons. Um, as we think about phase two and phase three and maybe going back into phase two, what should parents be expecting as far as um, 
updating IEPs or amending IEPs, those kinds of things? So all of our IEPs this year, um, until we go to a phase four, are going to be uh, via Zoom. So they're going to be um, online. What I want you to realize is as a team, we need to talk about what is in the best interest of your child and how are their services best delivered. So certain um, services will be delivered synchronously. So they'll be via Zoom, in person. Um, Others may be asynchronous, other things that can be supported outside of that direct instruction. So really advocating for what your child's needs are are, is super important and communicating clearly uh, where you have concerns in regards to distance learning because we we will have distance learning um, until we go to phase four. So we need to be very clear as IEP teams, what does distance learning look like for your student with with the services? And I, I would say that that's probably some really good um, information right there. I, Tom, I haven't heard anybody say that we would probably not experience distance learning for most of the rest of this year. Have you? No, I am <laughs> not hearing that at all. Yeah. So um, I just want to bust one myth before we finish today. And that is um, we've heard from um, some preschool parents. We've also heard from some parents in the healthcare industry, and we want to make sure that we're putting it out now to everybody uh, who may be interested in in this discussion on special education. Um, The myth is that if a child is being tested for COVID-19, that the district or the county is going to hold that child in some sort of detention facility until the test comes back. Um, We've heard this rumor multiple times. It is unadulteratedly, absolutely, irrevocably false. Um, there is no detention facility. Um, the district is not testing your child. The district is not holding your child. Um, the district will, if if a child looks sick or says that they have a COVID-like symptom, um, notify you, have you come pick up your child, um, may recommend testing, um, but your child is your child. We have no interest in housing them through a COVID test. Um uh, again, that is a blatantly false rumor. So if you are hearing that, just know that um, there is no basis for that at all. So it's not even going to be part of an IEP, right, Brooke? Never, never. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. And, you know, I think Myth- Mythbusters went off the air about five years ago or 10 yeah, years. Yeah, we're reviving it this year because that's all we're dealing with. So before we go, I just want to you know say to any parent out there that if you do have any questions, you do want to follow up, I am available at 464-0725, and your site principal and case managers are also available to you. Great. So Brooke and Tom, want to thank you for taking your time today to, to be on the podcast. Um, we look forward to kind of revisiting this as we dive into phase three and giving some families some more information. Um, so... To keep up on everything that's going on in the district, make sure that you're logging into www.dnusd.org, get that you've downloaded the district app so that you're getting those push notifications. Make sure that we also have a current cell phone number or home phone number so that we, you can get all calls in case of emergency. Check our Facebook page, notify or check your school's Facebook page. Um, but if you run across anything that seems strange, give us a call 464-6141. More than happy to answer any questions for you. So thank you both again, and everybody have a safe weekend. All right. Thank Thank you. you.